0: It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you once again, Bengals fans. I am Anthony Cazenza, joined by one of the busiest men covering the Cincinnati Bengals this week, John Sheeran. If you ha- You've seen him on our show, and you've probably, if you're an Eagles fan, somehow tuning into this show. Uh, he's been doing the rounds there. He's been on DH h Sports. John, I know it's been a busy week for you, but how are you doing, my friend?
1: Yeah, um, just just putting in the work, man. It's, it's been... I guess now 6 days since the Bengals last played, a lot of content has been produced for the site. I was fortunate enough to go on the Flippin Birds podcast was with with uh, Chris Infante and his co-host. I got uh, wow, Brian Cameron I think is his name. So, uh, that was a lot of fun. Go check that out. I retweeted it on my Twitter account, but yeah, it's it's been a week. It's been a week.
0: That might be one of the better uh, podcast names I think I've I've heard. Was it Flippin the Bird? Flipping the birds. birds. birds.
1: There's there's no D in the middle there.
0: It's still still pretty solid. It's kind of – I like it. I like it. But uh, doing great work as always and keeping up the website with all kinds of different stuff. It feels, John, like it's been forever since we've taken the air because the Bengals uh, had that Thursday night game. So kind of a quick turnaround for us and then a long gap. So, um, yeah, we're back and talking some Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to recap – Uh, A lot of different things from week week two against the Browns. Going to kind of stick with that a little bit of the discouraging, encouraging aspects and break down some things with Joe Burrow, the offensive line, etc. We've got a couple of stats of the week that we're going to share and then we're going to preview week three against the Eagles. A big game for the trajectory of the Cincinnati Bengals rest of the season. Uh, even though it's an interconference conference game, a big game for that uh, for them, and uh, then we'll we'll get on out of here. But we've got a lot to get to, and hopefully you've enjoyed a lot of things that have been coming at you on this channel. Matt Minick and Jake Lisgow from. Uh, Locked on Bengals did a did a cool little film breakdown. Uh, Matt also gave us a Chalk Talk episode doing some offensive line work. As I mentioned, John's been doing a lot of different stuff making the rounds. So hopefully you have enjoyed the content that we've been bringing on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel as well as on CincyJungle.com. So, John, let's, let's get to this. The Bengals lose 35-30 to the Browns. Kind of felt like it was worse than that uh the the Bengals were kind of playing catch up and and Burrow really kind of played with his hair on fire towards the end of the game they're making making a lot of plays look set let, let's start with him encouraged discouraged and I, I think we know what we're gonna what we're gonna say here but set a rookie record with completions with 37 uh through 61 total passes which is uh I, I think one of, uh, up there with the second most ever for a rookie quarterback to attempt uh, at least in the modern era um Three hundred plus yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Patchwork offensive line. I think there's a lot to like there. Um, room for improvement, I would say, but overall, what say you?
1: Yeah, and he threw the ball a lot because they just they had to like they couldn't yeah. rely on their running game so specifically on first and second down they just weren't getting a lot of help there and unlike the quarterback on the other side of the field in Baker Mayfield but 61 attempts and they still had like a positive EPA that was pretty much like league average or slightly above average for week two of that week so Burrow played about as efficiently as you could expect a rookie quarterback in his second start in five days throwing the ball 60 plus times against you know a defense that still had talented and two cornerbacks that pretty much locked down uh, his outside re- receivers and AJ green and T Higgins for the most part. So Burrow played extremely well uh, when I charted his decisions, like essentially the first w- two weeks now, basically he's making just one bad decision every like seven dropbacks, which for a rookie is incredibly efficient and just exemplary. I think mental processing decision-making he's been off the charts so far in this. And in this Browns game, I, I think he played a lot more consistent than against than he did against the Chargers. Now the secondary with the Browns is a little bit weaker than the Chargers. If you want to get into like matchups and nuances and all that stuff, but I think he showed improvement and growth in just a five day um, rest period. And so obviously, there's a lot to like with what Burrow did. Obviously, there's still points left on the board. Part of that was from the Tyler Boyd drop in the red zone. Part of that was from just missed. This throws and miscommunications with with Higgins and Green down the field, and that's why he's only one of twelve of throws beyond twenty yards, which I'm sure we're going to get into tonight. But I think there's still more to like than to dislike at this point.
0: There, there is, and obviously, when you say you know an error every seven throws, that would the the quote unquote error varies whether it's you know missing an open receiver, maybe not hitting a guy for a bigger play, you know maybe. Running into a sack. Uh, Zach, Zach Taylor kind of threw Joe Burrow under the bus a little bit on one of the sacks uh, in a press conference this week, um, which was a little surprising. But, you know, th- th- I understand what you're saying there. But overall, I think there's a lot of things pointing. There are a lot of things pointing to the fact that Joe Burrow isn't playing like a stereotypical rookie. There are some facets to that, but. There are others that are not. So overall, I would say encouraging. Now, where I wanted to go next, I was going to talk specifically about A.J. Green, but let's just go wide receivers encouraged or discouraged because you got A.J. Green, 13 targets, only three catches. There's a lot of yeah, but with that, right? Uh, T. Higgins getting his first couple of catches. You've got John Ross doing John Ross things. <laughs> overall, where are you at? Mike Thomas gets a touchdown, by the way uh where are you at with this wide receiver group in terms of encouraged or discouraged
1: I think Boyd who had the most yards was the most productive he had the easiest matchup in this game against Tavio Thomas in the slot and he produced as expected he was going to produce with green like uh, even if like AJ AJ wasn't showing obvious rust having not played in in almost two years now and now playing the second game in five days even if he didn't have that rush factor to him. I, I think it was still a very tough matchup for him. He's 32 years old going up against a 23 year old Denzel Ward. who's one of the better athletes at the cornerback position. And, and honestly, just an ascending star at the position. Denzel Ward played a great game against green, but also Terrence Mitchell for the Browns who matched up with against him equally amount. He had a tremendous game against green. And I think that was the matchup. I, I, I think a lot of us would have expected green to produce against and Mitchell locked him the heck down. Like after giving up that, almost completion on the very first play of the game. Mitchell did not allow any separation against green. And at this point, we don't know if it's more rust or if it's more or more age related, but I think we're going to find out a lot more about that in the next two weeks as he kind of gets continues to get acclimated back into the swing of things. But I think it's still a little bit too early to say, On Green Higgins did some good things. I liked that that first catch of his career when he worked back to the sideline with with Burrow scrambling. That was that was great communication on both of their parts. That was something that he mentioned in his press conference how they all as a collective group need to do a better job of working with Burrow as he's trying to create plays out of structure. There were some timing issues and there were some communication issues. I think with him and Burrow there was one like a little ten yard hitch where um, Higgins. Burrow should have got rid of the ball essentially a little bit early when Higgins was coming out of his break, ended up being an incompletion. There was a, was a back shoulder throw to the end zone where Higgins didn't, I don't don't think knew that was where the ball was going to get placed. And it was easy, um, miss incompletion. So I think those, those those are just the fact that you have two rookies trying to um, work together and that's only going to come and get better with time with Ross though, like, like these issues just keep popping up and you want to keep them on the field because that's just a speed factor that you can't, that you can't emulate with anyone else but right there has to be tangible production that goes to that and that's why i think we can all sense that like higgins is one of the starters now he started this game against the browns but mike thomas is probably overtaking ross in the depth chart because he leads the bengal's right now in yards per out run for a series with 1.45 he had that touchdown against denzel ward he's the only receiver i think in this game to beat denzel ward in one-on-one coverage so thomas is improving he's playing like the guy he he was in training camp when ross wasn't on the field so that's kind of where things are trending in the receiving core. I think it's again, too early to say on green, but with Ross, like there's only so many excuses you can make for the guy.
0: We're going to talk more about Higgins and Tate as we preview the Eagles game, because I I want to talk about their potential emerging roles, especially with what happened with Auden Tate last week and the drama that kind of followed with his agent, uh, kind of having a little (laughs) open opening uh, some dirty laundry, I guess, airing some dirty laundry out to the public there, uh, for Auden and being a healthy scratch. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. My take on AJ green, John is look, like you said, tough matchup with Denzel Ward. He did have a matchup that you probably, you think he could or should have exploited, but tough matchup against Denzel Ward short week travel, not much conditioning in the preseason because he was hurt. And he's also missed a lot of games in general over the past handful of years. I give him a little bit of a pass there, right there. And look, The first two games, there were end zone opportunities that were either missed by Joe Burrow or he had an arm being grabbed by a defender late in the game that was not called for pass interference. Yeah, you'd like to think kind of an easy ball. Maybe he's able to kind of basket one hand, catch that. That is asking a bit still of a a pro player. But at the same time, call should have been made. You know, Bengals maybe get a touchdown there. I think they ended up scoring a field goal instead. So that was kind of a critical point in the game. So the plays have been there. The the, the rapport between Burrow and Green has not. And I think, you know, just based on some circumstances with the offseason and going into Thursday night, short week, etc. cetera, I, I give it a little bit of a pass. But I think, you know, if we're looking four games in, first month of the season, these issues are still occurring. I think, I think we've got some worries there. So to me, I think overall – encouraging just because burrow's getting a lot of guys involved uh there are some issues with tate the the lack of rapport i mentioned with green that are a little concerning as well right now but boyd catches a touchdown he also dropped one mike thomas catches a touchdown cj uzama unfortunately i know he's not wide receiver core but unfortunately cj uzama is now out of this out for the season with an achilles injury so uh he did catch joe burrow's first touchdown the longest play by the Bengals offense on the evening John, I'm really interested to hear what you got to say on this one. We've got about uh, half a dozen people in our live chats just already blasting the offensive line. Now, the reason I'm really interested in what you have to say here is because I think we all know the offensive line had a lot of issues against the Browns. They were going up against Miles Garrett and all kinds of uh, solid players on the offensive line. Let up a lot of pressures, a lot of, I think, close to double-digit hits on Joe Burrow. Not ideal Bobby Hart, doing Bobby Hart things. Uh, But you also put out an article on Cincy Jungle, a little bit of film review on Jonah Williams and gave him some glowing reviews. So I guess that's where I say, John, are you encouraged overall by the offensive line or discouraged? I think I know what you're going to say. Also playing into the factor there, Fred Johnson, first start at right guard. We'll talk more about him also as we preview the Eagles.
1: Let's just go back to the offseason. Let's go back to the last four years because for ever since Whitworth and Zyler, those guys who should not be named since they left, they've been banking on projection. They've been banking on guys improving, taking that next step. The same thing happened in the 2020 offseason, and we're seeing the same results as we've seen for the past four years. Looking back in this game, Fred Johnson looked terrible, I guess, in the first watch. When going back, I don't think he was as bad as a lot of people thought he was. Now, granted, when he lost, he lost and they were yeah. bad bad reps and all, of course you know being thrusted into the into the uh, position that you haven't played since l- l- the last pre his first preseason in 2019 he didn't really practice at that position which is what taylor said going up to the week because it was like a last minute decision because price was still de- billy price was still dealing with an ankle injury but as the game went on i think he settled in a little bit more he had some unfortunate opportunities to go up against miles garrett at defensive tackle who kind of mm-hmm. rang his bell a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't think Johnson was not only the worst offensive lineman on the right side, I don't think it was the worst guard in this game. I think Michael Jordan still had more losses on, on his point. And like you said, Bobby Hart's the same Bobby Hart. Like I know he didn't give up like, like, like a, a terrible stack in this game. Like he gave up against Joey and the Chargers, but the bad reps are still happening. and My, miles Garrett had nine pressures for a reason when he mostly ran off the edge of, of Hart's edge. So those two are just still definite liabilities and even if Johnson isn't like a natural guard because of just his body type and the way that he plays, like th- there's still some hope there because I think there's more to like about him than a guy like Hart that you believe that Johnson could still develop. It's just like, I would rather see it happen at right tackle where I think he's just more natural at. And I just don't understand how many more times we can see Bobby Hart. Like I was on this, we were on the show last week and I said, hart has got to be blocking for his job. And even if he didn't play, terrible like the bad reps are still there and they can still cost this team uh, on it on any given week even if the sacks don't come on those bad reps like it's bad process to keep a guy out there who's just not improving even though he's in year five and you keep banking on that
0: i i don't remember if it was you and i talking about this or uh maybe it was just when i was talking to myself on the post game show i don't know i don't really remember but it seems as if look it's not is it, it Bobby Hart's bad reps aren't getting masked by, by minimal impact. And what I mean by that is he, he's not missing a run block, and instead of a play that should go for six yards, it's maybe one or two yards. His missed block blocks and missed assignments, his losses in blocking assignments, result in sack fumbles, result in big hits on Joe Burrow, and disastrous plays. And I know Matt Minnick said, you know, hey, Hart actually had quite a few good reps in this game as well. I believe him and I've I've seen the good reps at times. To me though John with Hart, it's not every single rep is a disastrous play, but he has those small handful of reps that are really bad losses and it just ends up being a chaotic play for the for the offense and I think that's where the spotlight ends up shining so brightly on Bobby Hart.
1: Well and that's what happens if if your process is bad and your technique is is bad, which is the case for in Both scenarios, the bad reps are are catast or they end up being catastrophes because it's just a matter of of the edge rusher that given play to take advantage of it and have the opportune moment. Like even in the plays he doesn't give up a lot of pressures, I think Pro Football Focus recorded him with like three pressures this game. He had more than three bad reps in this game. It was it just wasn't a matter of having an impact on on the play in general. So like the the technique and the process is not improving. It's just a matter of the, the opposing team just not taking advantage during those specific plays. But, but you're right. Like the, the the disasters are the disasters. And the problem is when you have multiple guys with that caliber on the offensive line, which is what Johnson was at, at times and what Jordan still is because he's he hasn't taken that next step yet it can lead to even bigger catastrophes where you have multiple guys having bad reps on the same play. It doesn't matter what Jonah Williams does on, at left tackle. It doesn't matter what Trey Hopkins does at center. If you have multiple guys losing on the same rep because they're just losing all throughout the game, you're going to have plays where Burroughs just scrambling out of his mind and having to do everything by himself.
0: Two can't mask three, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the reality of it on, on the offensive line. And the two we refer- we're referencing here is Jonah Williams and Trey Hopkins as opposed to Mike jordan Fred Johnson and Bobby Hart. So uh, I think overall we would say discouraged with the offensive line going forward. And it sounds like at least for this week, not really many changes will be made in the lineup. Um, Maybe that's different down the road. Uh, Let's, let's switch to the defense, John. And again, I think I know what we're, what we're saying here, but there are some points of debate with overall defensive performance in week one, letting up 16 points on your home field, uh, largely containing big plays, giving your offense the the chance to win in week one. Uh, But then you've also got close to 400 yards rushing. And I believe four, four rushing touchdowns given up in two games by this defense, minimal pass rush. Then again, on the other hand, you got no Mike Daniels, no Geno Atkins, no Sean Williams. So where do you sit with encouragement or discouragement with this defensive unit?
1: Like, uh, for, for starters, I think the Browns had a masterful game plan for this game. Like they went out going play action heavy, regardless of what the run was doing. Like it wasn't a matter of their run game setting up the play action; they were just going play action right out of the gate. And the Bengals were were buying it because play action does work regardless of the run game, and they were having massive success with, with those concepts. And that's that's how Baker had a, a lot of those big plays. And then he, he didn't throw like a pass in the last ten minutes of the game. He only threw twenty three or twenty two in total because the run running game was just unstoppable. And I'm going to get to that in this week's stat of, of the week, but like this defense, I mean, they, they, they did look good against Los Angeles. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say they didn't. I think they did a lot of things well in that game, but a lot of the same issues that we saw from last year, despite the overhaul that we saw in this roster, they came back to bite them. Like immediately Josh by instrument, Pratt exposed in coverage on play action or just in general, man coverage, like crossing rods over the middle, they were getting exposed. They had to have Logan Wilson and King Dave Scather out there for some earlier snaps than they usually did. Logan Wilson got exposed. Welcome to the NFL, man. How about a run fit? How about getting off a block? He didn't yep. do either of those things in this game. Yep. And then you go back. He was to a the, ghost, man. And then you go back to the defensive line. Like the Browns did a lot in terms of upgrading their offensive line. Jedrick Wells played outstanding for his second game of his career. Um, who, who was who was the right who was the right tackle in this game? Because it wasn't was it Hubbard? At right tackle? I believe because, so, yes. Yeah, and he had he had I think that the best game of his Browns career because Carlos Dunlap, Sam Hubbard, didn't matter who was rushing off that ledge left, left edge for the Bengals, they weren't getting any pressure. Akeem Davis Gaither had the most pressures on this defense. Carl Lawson, Carlos Dunlap, Sam Hubbard were doing nothing in the pass rush, regardless of play action, regardless of the run game, even in straight troop dropbacks, they were not affecting the pocket for Baker. And Baker just took advantage of that. Like against the Ravens, Baker was he was having happy feet. He was sensing the rush, even though it wasn't there, and he looked like the Baker of 2019. In this game, Baker just looked completely confident. It's like he had the utmost confidence that nobody in in white and orange for the Bengals was going to touch him, and they didn't touch him all game. So they had a fantastic game plan out of the gate. Baker executed perfectly. The run game was. It was tremendous, but I think we all expected that Chubb and Hunt to have success because that's just how good they, that they are. I think it's more of a testament to, to their skill rather than how bad the Bengals are against the run. But it doesn't excuse how bad that they were in this game.
0: That might have been one of the best games I've seen Baker Mayfield play, and I have I don't watch sixteen Browns games a year, but I do watch you know uh, quite a handful of them. Uh, at at a minimum of two because they play the Bengals, but I do pay attention to the Browns and watch Baker Mayfield quite frequently, and that was one of the top games I've seen him. He did have the interception late in the game that uh, was a a very... Different looking coverage uh, scheme that, that Lou Anarumo drew up, and William Jackson picked the ball off. But um, you know, for the most part, I thought Baker Mayfield played uh, largely outstanding because he was able to utilize that play action, and it was a lot of bootleg stuff where he would play action, roll out, and hit a guy or hit Odell Beckham on what looked like single coverage, uh, man-to-man coverage on the outside. And um, you know, they made him pay. They made the Bengals pay. My my feelings on the defense, John are that you know is it similar to week 1 of last year where the where the Bengals were you know they looked pretty good on on defense in week 1 against Seattle of all teams and then the next week, week they get trounced by a 49ers team that by the way they're bouncing the ball outside they're using the lack of lateral speed that the Bengals had in 2019 at least against them seeing a lot of outside runs you know uh, runs kind of out wide in this Browns game and, and it exposed the Bengals a little bit there too. So I I'm the thing I'm worried about John is you still got two games against the Ravens. You know, they can run the ball. The Steelers have shown that they always can run the ball no matter who's in the backfield. And by the way, they just got David DeCastro back. He missed the first two games. That's not good news for a Bengals defense. So i'm discouraged uh you know i'd like to think hey maybe one of these weeks is an aberration hopefully it's week two again short week go on the road that sort of thing but um they've got some tough games coming up against against the run at least and i'm 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 worried
1: well i mean the problem is a lot of those teams that you mentioned they have really good offensive lines the browns have the if if not the best offensive line in the entire league, probably the best offensive line in in the division. Wyatt Teller, J.C. Trader, Joel Baitonio. That's a that's an incredible interior trio, and, and the two bookends that that we mentioned. Like they didn't even have their starting right tackle, and Jack Conklin, who's also a great run right. Like the Ravens, Steelers, they will road grade you, and uh, like D.J. Reader. And whoever's at three technique for the Bengals, they just can't do it all. Like they need their linebackers to step up and and take on blocks and and disengage. Like they didn't have any of that against the Browns. You're just not. You're just not going to have success against an offense line that good and and against schemes that the Ravens and the Steelers run. So it's going to be a problem until they get you know fully healthy personnel back there and just guys that live up to their capabilities. So yeah, it's a worry. And uh, well, honestly, like the first two weeks, I'm wondering like where where's Von Bell. Honestly, he's not really making a lot of differences in either the either against the runner or the pass. And I, I should do a better job of like trying to analyze what exactly he's doing, because it doesn't seem like he's, he's not popping off the screen like I expected him to. And I wonder what his role has been so far in this defense. But um, I think against the Chargers, he had a couple of missed tackles and against the Browns, he was largely non-factor. So for, for a guy who had a lot of confidence was going to make an immediate difference, he's I guess he would be a guy that I'm a little discouraged about so far.
0: I'm glad that's a good segue because I want to talk just briefly about a couple of individual players in terms of encouragement or discouragement and uh, that we can get that one out of the way there. I do think there may be a Sean Williams factor absence factor going into that because I think Lou Anarumo kind of wanted to do some different things with those guys. Sean Williams not being available in the lineup, maybe putting Von Bell into some compromising situations, um, not really – playing to his strengths, but yeah, like you said, I think we need to look a little closer to that. To me, Carlos Dunlap, a discouraging start to this season. I know he's a real streaky player. He's a guy who gets hot towards the middle and end of seasons, and he creates gigantic plays that usually you can readily point to that that was a a game-winning type of play, Um, but he's been a ghost to start this season. Uh, I don't know if you want to say that's the Geno Atkins absence factor maybe, but he's been disappointing. Um, You can point to a couple of other guys on that defensive line and really a lot of guys on that defense. One guy I want to say that I am encouraged with, or at least I became encouraged with based on some things I saw late in the game in week two, and I want to get your thoughts on it, John, was Drew Sample, uh, a guy who stepped up quite a bit with Uzama getting injured. uh, Not – you know, not really getting these huge chunk plays, but chain moving plays, a nice outlet, and kind of what Joe Burrow needs, especially when he's got to get the ball out quickly. When maybe the first read's not there, Drew Sample sitting in the middle of the field for a, you know a decent gain to keep a drive moving. I thought that that was a nice adjustment by the coaching staff, and really Drew Sample stepping up made an awesome one-hand catch uh, in the game, and uh, I thought he looked pretty good. So I'm I'm encouraged cautiously encouraged by what I saw from him
1: yeah I mean if we want to look if we're going to look back in the record books about the first for Joe Burrow like the win hasn't come or anything but the first receiver that bailed Al Joe Burrow on a bad throw is Drew Sample I think yep. <laughs> that, that I don't think anyone expected that catch to happen yeah. yeah. for a handful of yards and I don't even know if it went for first down but it, it sucks to see Zoma go go down with an Achilles I think we all knew immediately it looked exactly yep. like the Kevin Durant injury from a year ago. But I mean this is the this is the perfect opportunity for sample. You know, it was it was gonna be interesting to see how those two were gonna kind of get just kind of get involved in the offense with both of them healthy. But with Uzoma out, I mean this is this is sample's job to lose now at this point. And now going into twenty twenty one, you have Uzoma coming back from an Achilles injury in the last year of his contract, you still have two more years with sample under contract. This year is huge for sample. And I think it's it's up to see if he actually made the improvements of the offseason to take on this role because in, in this game, he was again seven receptions, 45 yards, nothing to really blow you away. But those were impactful receptions at um when, when they were made during the game. And for example, I mean, that's a clear that's a career game for him. He only had like a handful of receptions in all of 2019. So kudos to him for stepping up when he was called upon. And now it's up to him keeping that going.
0: Any others that you uh individual players that you want to note as encouraged or discouraged? I got, I got one actually before you, you know, what about Randy Bullock? Based on mm. what happened, what happened in week one, and what happened here in week two, are you encouraged that maybe that was just a fluky thing? I think we know who Randy Bullock is by now, by the way. But are, are you at least encouraged that it was a, a bounce, a nice bounce back game for Randy Bullock?
1: Well, I mean, for, first of all, how about those cats looking pretty strong there?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Bullock has. Always been the guy I think has been pretty accurate inside forty. I think anytime you ask him to go beyond forty-five, it's just a question of does he have the leg power to comfortably kick this accurately. Like when Justin Tucker goes out there, I don't know if Ravens fans like are even the slightest bit worried when he's under sixty because he knows that he has the leg to kick it accurately and doesn't have to put anything extra on it. With Bullock, it's like all like if Bullock has to kick a six-yard field goal, I think his calf might literally explode, like (laughs) because he knows that he needs everything in his power to get there. So, and and the, that's why it was so shocking when he made that 58 yarder against Miami during during the shit bowl of tw- of 2019. So like <laughs> I, I think this game like it, it, they, they weren't like necessarily tough field goals. I think his longest one was still back in Week One. So good for him for being accurate. But he's always been accurate in these situations.
0: Yep. Any others that you want to touch on individually in terms of encourage or discourage that maybe we haven't talked about yet?
1: Yeah, I think William Jackson had that one Hmm. bad rep against uh, Odell Beckham. He bit on a double move. And, I mean, Bengals fans are constantly underrating Odell Beckham, even though he's had his best games as a Brown against the Bengals. I thought Beckham was going to go up against Darius Phillips most of this game, but he actually ended up seeing William Jackson a fair share. And Jackson bit the dust a little bit early on, and then he came back with an interception. I think a lot of people were, were confused with the coverage. It just looked like some type of... Variation of cover three, but some of the assignments got changed off of play action bootleg. But kudos to him for finding the ball and, and re- reading Baker Mayfield, and making a play. His first interception in I think three or four years now, since uh, um, that, that Green Bay game back in his rookie year. So kudos to him for making a good play. I think he was still PFS highest coverage graded player of the game. He was only targeted a handful of times, and unfortunately, that Beckham touchdown stands out. But I think he's still having. I think it's still him trending in the right direction despite that play.
0: I would agree with you. There was also the non-PI call against him. uh, That that could have been, I think, a big play. But uh, overall, I think it's been a good start to the season for William Jackson. I I would agree with you there. We're going to move on with some stats of the week. Before we do, I want to remind everybody to get this show how you can. First of all, thanks for tuning in live if you're joining us live, or if not, thanks for tuning in after the fact on one of many audio streaming platforms. You know all of them by now, so we're on most of them. Get the show how you can. If you like the video format better, you can be sure to subscribe to Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. We're always streaming there. And of course, our own YouTube page, there is a subscribe little logo button right under John's left shoulder. We should have that. We should make a little shirt for you, John, just so it has that logo permanently on there because it's always hovering over you. So go ahead and subscribe there. Get our content from the Orange and Black Insider as well as Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick and a lot of other stuff that we're putting out there. We appreciate the support.
1: All right, so let's get to stat of the week. Um, We're just gonna label just like you know something that caught our eye when looking at the box score, maybe some advanced stats that really tells us a story about this game or about what it is to come. So, Anthony, how about how would you start? What's your stat of the week?
0: Well, I was gonna go super advanced with with this one you know we got some next-gen stats sent to us from the nfl i think i tweeted a lot of those out for those who follow me on twitter i was going to maybe talk about some of those more intricate ones but i'm going to go a little bit more big picture macro look at things and i'm just going to say the Bengals went five of five on fourth downs in this game and this this was a team that was very adverse especially last year with the quarterback play they were very adverse to Um, you know, going for it on fourth down, especially fourth and long. And, you know, we kind of were like, hey, get it going. Now, obviously, as they started to lose games later in the year, it became more prevalent that they were going to be going for it on fourth when they were down by a bunch of points, that sort of thing. But I wanted to point this out. Not only is this a good indicator for, it's an indicator for a lot of things. Number one, I think the Bengals going forward will be a little more aggressive because of who they have under center. And maybe that's Hello, Captain Obvious. On that, but I, I think we're just going to see a team that's more prone to continuing drives on fourth and twos, fourth and threes, fourth and fives, especially when the offensive line is not a, not letting this offense get chunk run plays. When Joe Burrow's taking a sack and they move back and then move back forward uh, after a sack, so I think you're going to see this team go for it more often. Uh, on fourth down than we maybe were accustomed to. And I also think that they'll be successful at doing so because of who's under center. So I thought the five of five fourth down conversions was a really interesting stat. Again, not one of those deals you got to dig too deep to, to look at. But um, to me, I, I just looked at that and I said that this might be a, a facet of the offense that we're not used to. And it may lead to more points, more yards, more excitement. And it also may be an indicator that the Bengals – are falling behind quite a bit in games and falling behind early.
1: Yeah, and and one of those fourth downs came in the first. It came on the first drive. Yeah, it was a Tyler Boyd on, on a great play design where they had a the rub route on in this and on the outside, and they had Boyd kind of fading out to the to the outside and creating space there. So I love the I love that aggression from Taylor, especially compared to last week when they they could went for fourth down in the in the first half, but they decided not to. My stat of the day is not so positive. It's five point zero nine which is the average yards after contact that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt ran per attempt in this game. They ran the ball 32 times between the between the two of them and yeah, averaging 5 a pop after contact. Like most of the, most of the yards came after a Cincinnati Bengals touched them. Like the Bengals did a good job of rallying to them pretty quickly. And I know there were some plays where they gained a lot of movement and the Browns offensive line is just one of those that they can just generate movement immediately whether they run power or counter or zone. They're scheme, versatile, and they have the athletes to do whatever they, to do whatever they want. And the Bengals did not have the linebackers or the personnel up front really handled that. But when they got to Chubb and Hunt early, like we, we knew this was a the thing. They needed to crowd to them early. They needed to get as many bodies there as possible. The Bengals had, I think, I want to say, yeah, like seven or eight defensive players in this game that had recorded in this tackle, Jesse Bates led, the, led them with four. Yeah. So it, it wasn't like one player aside from base was getting, but even then, like if your safety is the guy who's trying if your free safety is the guy who's like screaming up there because you have a running back who's getting loose in the second level, that's an indictment on your front seven, or your front six, whoever your personnel is out there. So Chubb and Hunt were met pretty early despite all the movement that was being generated by the offensive line. But they were just making so many plays on their own. They like had a combined nine avoided tackles. And, it, in, and on that last drive, it just looked like the Bengals defense was completely gassed. They were exhausted. And they just ran all over them in like five or six plays. They ran down the field, got a quick score. Hunt and Chubb are, I think, definitely the, the best one to attack at running back in the entire league. And again, I think it's a little bit more about how good that they are. But it's also like how the Bengals got destroyed. It was it wasn't necessarily them just losing immediately, but it was just guys just not being able to get, to gang tackle on these guys. It was just it was um it was unbelievable how much yards that they were generating after contact, and that's that's one of Chubb's greatest strengths, and that that's still what makes Hunt a good running back. But still, it the numbers don't lie compared to what we saw with our eyes.
0: As frustrating as that stat is, just on its face. The frustrating thing about it, John, to me, is the fact that the Bengals were pretty good at wrapping up ball carriers in Week One. They, they there weren't a ton of missed tackles, and really, the the big issues that arose in Week One in terms of being able to guard the run was when DJ Reader went out with cramps. Once he went out with cramps, it was it was a different defense. Um, so th- the regression from week to week. Granted, better running backs, like you said. In Chubb and Hunt, but the regression in this factor and the steep regression in this factor just from one week is very, very concerning. And I want to ask you again what we talked about kind of in the opening segment here how much do you play the it's Thursday night on the road card playing into this?
1: I, it's part of it. But still, like it's, it was a definite mismatch. Like the Browns' offensive line and their running game, it's just, it's that good. And if you can have that much success and not have to lean on your quarterback, which is good in this case because you don't want to lean too much on Baker Mayfield, then by all means do that. Because there was no answer that the Bengals had in this. Like from from the from the get go, they looked outmatched and and out and out schemed in in this in this game. It was Chubb and Hunt doing whatever they wanted. It was Wide Teller continuing to play like arguably the best guard in the entire NFL right now. So I think the Browns showed that they still have a lot of talent and they just needed an opponent to get their things right and it just happened to be the Bengals in this
0: case. Yeah, so those are the stats of the week. One positive, one negative in terms of the Bengals, and we will continue to bring you those and break those down throughout the season. Good stuff, John, uh, as always. We're going to transition now into week three. The Bengals take on the Philadelphia Eagles at in in Philly, in the city of brotherly love, and a big game for the Bengals. Not only because they're coming off a little extra rest with that Thursday night game, but own two. Zach Taylor is now 2-16 to start his NFL career, John. Not a good look, and they the Bengals may still be out with – uh, maybe without some of their star players on defense. So some of these things, um, would some of these things may play into it. So, uh, let's look at the, I'm going to share my screen here. This is on cincyjungle.com and, uh, an article here about Geno Atkins and Mike Daniels. They, as of Wednesday are still not practicing. So that is not a good look. Sean Williams finally comes back in a limited capacity. Uh, you can see down here uh, the injury report um, as of Wednesday. Now we can we can look at this. You know, that you may be listening to this program Thursday or Friday, and things could change. John, I would say that if these guys, the big indicator is is Thursday, isn't that usually the practice that says you know if a guy is at least limited there? Usually that's a sign. That's a sign towards positive uh a positive sign that they're going to be playing sunday
1: yeah that would be that would be the safe designation i wonder if w- with atkins's case if you just if you're okay with him practicing one day on like friday if he's limited if, if he's yeah. if he's practicing on friday i think he's for sure gonna play he just may not be in full capacity He might just be limited throughout the game i mean having both those guys out is is obviously worse than just one, but when both are mad, you can you can sense like the ripple effect. And unfortunately, this game, it's it's a lot like the Chargers, where you have matchups up front that you can exploit. The Eagles are without both of their projected Week One starters, had left and right guard. They had Brandon Brooks out before the season even began, right. and they and they had their left guard Isaac. I, I I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his last name. I don't know off the <laughs> top of my head. He's on IR now, so they have two backup guards playing between maybe the best center of the game and Jason Kelsey, go UC. So, I mean, there's a chance for whoever lines up at three technique for the Bengals to have a day. And if Atkins was 100% healthy, I would have confidence that they can exploit that. But if, if if it's not, it's almost like it's going from potential mismatch favoring the Bengals to just kind of even Steven.
0: If you listen to uh, Bengal Jim Foster, uh, either his own program that he does, or if you saw him when we did our uh, our week one pregame show, courtesy of Narragansett Beer, when he came on our program, he said Troy Blackburn did a jog by when they were setting up his drive-through tailgate experience and said that, Troy said that it's, it's probably a very good possibility that Atkins plays in this Eagles game. Now here we sit, and you know, Wednesday, he still hasn't practiced. So we'll see here. This obviously seems to be some sort of lingering issue because he hasn't been practicing for gosh, about three or four weeks now, John. Um, so a little, little concerning, obviously not something that's going to, you know, put him on IR or otherwise they probably would have done that at this point, but um, you know, a little concerning. And like you said, having at least one of those guys, Atkins or Daniels in the interior, it makes a big difference as we saw, Last week, so let's let's continue on a little bit in terms of the Bengals news front before we get into the analysis of the game and a little bit of stuff on the Eagles side of the fence. Um, Fred Johnson gets to start again. Zach Taylor announced at right guard. Are you surprised about that?
1: No, because I we don't know at this moment what Billy Price's status is, and if they can't go without those guys, then to throwing Hakeem Adeniji out into the fray and. I mean, he's been, he was all over the place in training camp with, with, with how they use them. So who knows if he's even mentally prepared to play at this point. Um, so I'm not too surprised considering, I think they saw the same things that I saw with Johnson. How he just got a little bit better as the game went on. It wasn't as bad as what it initially was, but I mean, if Fletcher Cox plays like that's the guy he's going up against and he has an opportunity to get exposed once again. And if it's not, I, I mean, Malik Jackson is the other Eagles defensive lineman. He's Mainly going up against the left guard, but if 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 Johnson goes up against him, I think he's in the top ten in terms of pass rush win rate according to ESPN's metrics. So that's still a tough matchup for him, even if it, even if it's not Fletcher Cox. But I think I mean Taylor had all the had all the r- rationale out of it. You know, like he barely practiced. It was his first game of the year. You know, he didn't really practice at the position that much. So like. I'm not too surprised considering we don't know the status of Billy Price or if they just don't like Billy Price enough to start him over Johnson because Johnson is the guy that Jim Turner and Zach Taylor both brought in 2019 Billy Price, the guy from the origin and all that stuff. So I'm not too surprised because he didn't play necessarily as bad as the perception that it was, but this is still not exactly a game where I have a lot of confidence that he's going to do well.
0: So the Bengals offensive line will look very similar to what it looked like on Thursday Night Football for better or for worse. I want to ask this, John. What do you think the Odd and Tate situation is going to look like this week now that his agent aired some dirty laundry? I can remember when I coached. Uh, I coached at the high school level, and I remember when I would have a disgruntled parent come up to me about playing time of their kid, and um, we had our reasons. Usually we were pretty... We, we felt we were pretty fair in terms of getting everybody a lot of playing time, but there would always be that parent. And, you know, oftentimes we would respond with, Hey, you okay, let's, let's see, let's see what happens there. Well, squeaky wheel gets the oil, so to speak. Do you think that this is a similar situation when the agent spoke up and obviously Zach Taylor came rushing to Tate's defense this week saying, I love odd Tate. We love him on this football team, that sort of thing. He was a healthy scratch. Do you see a bigger role for him in this game?
1: Yeah. Like when, Looking back, because I, I try to project who gets inactive or who isn't active for the game. And there was one spot where, like, I'm not sure who it's going to be. And considering that they had some receivers, it was possible that one of those guys was not going to get dressed. And it just happened to be Tate. I don't think it's like Tate getting completely phased out of the offense necessarily. I think it, it might just have been a one week type of thing. But I mean, it, it, I, I can kind of see why like this kind of happened, it just, even if he was a seventh round pick, like Tate was like the dude at Florida state and he was like a highly talented, like high school recruit. So he, and, he, and then he gains that chip on his shoulder after almost being undrafted in, in 2018. And I think he and his agent know that he played pretty well with a bad quarterback last year. And it, it, it is an understandable level of disrespect that he felt. And I don't think it's, te- it's too terrible that he, those those concerns publicly i mean it wasn't tate it was his agent to to be um to be clear about that but i I can understand i can see from their perspective why they felt that way like if it was alex erickson or mike thomas who had not who happened to be inactive there's no way that we're seeing that report from their respective agents like they don't have that that type of personality they don't have that like a history of succeeding and then being in a place where you're just not a factor at all so I don't know if Tate's going to be active for this game. I think he might have to be if they have enough injuries where they just can't sit like a a certain number of healthy players. But I don't know if it's going to be to the point where Tate gets like 10 targets just because his agent is is now threatening to request a trade from them.
0: Something's got to give on offense in terms of someone's making big plays. Last week, the 23-yard touchdown to CJ Ozama was the biggest play that the Bengals had. They're not getting the big run plays. They're not getting big plays in the screen pass game. Joe Burrow is not getting time often enough to get a deep ball going. And when he does, it's a miss, usually to A.J. Green, but others. And Ross, the supposed big play speedster guy, has not been stepping up and making plays, whether that's Burrow, Ross, both, what have you. Something's got to give. So if, if they think the Tate can come in there and – not only move the chains, but you know, get a red zone touchdown on a on a jump ball. If if they think he's not a deep threat per se, but he kind of is in a way, John, because he can outleap so many defenders. He won't outrun them, but he can outleap them with his size and catch radius. So I mean I think if they if they feel that they made a mistake last week and they need to get those big plays on offense and Tate can provide that, I I, I think he's active and maybe get some looks.
1: Like right now, <clears throat> excuse me. If you were to ask me, like, if both Odd and Tate and John Ross play the same number of snaps, and I was to be asked who gets more receiving yards on, like, the same number of targets, I would go with Tate because I'm, I just have more confidence that he's going to haul in more targets than Ross. He's going to have better connection with Burrow. And I thought that there was some type of connection, at least in training camp, because he was playing for A.J. Green when Green was nursing that hamstring injury. So it's not its not like he is just, has just been a non-factor for the offseason and he just hasn't been clicking, and all of a sudden he's in this place. Like, I think this is just an unfortunate thing for this week where he just happened to not be in. And I know people want Tate to play over Ross for those reasons. Like, he would potentially be more productive in in a similar role. But I understand why Ross is still going out there because the coaches feel like that that his speed can change how coverages are being played upon the Bengals' offense and how he just changes the dynamic of what defenses have to respect. But at at a certain point, I think the frustration will boil over to if this guy's just not producing, there's only so much – uh, there's only so many things that we can say to not put our better player out there instead of Ross. So may, maybe Ross plays this week against a bad secondary. Maybe Tate gets more looks if he, if he is active because it is a bad secondary. But like you know, the, the whole Ross speed factor can only go so far if he's not making those plays. And we have seen Tate make those plays despite not being a very fast receiver. He has the ability to get to go up there and be a vertical threat because it's just a jump ball, and that's that's something that Joe Burrow was successful with it with LSU and. I would i'm I'm having that confidence because we did kind of see it in training camp, but we just have to see it in the regular
0: season now, yeah, those back shoulder throws, right? That seems to be something that uh, you would think Tate would maybe excel at because of Burroughs excellent accuracy in that facet. Now let's before we get to a few more x's and O's and maybe prediction and outlook on this game, we're going to take a quick peek over the other side of the fence with the Eagles and really, I'm going to share an article I came across today, John, um, in just a second here, but really the story with the Eagles, at least from our seats, is with Carson Wentz. Two touchdowns, four interceptions in two games, Uh, zero zero touchdowns and two interceptions last week against the Rams. Eagles starting 0-2, a little bit of a surprise, especially when they started with Washington, to kick off the season, and a lot of people thought that was a gimme win, and uh, they lose last week against the Rams, and um, this becomes a must-win game for Philadelphia. You could argue the same for Cincinnati uh, for a, a couple of reasons, but this becomes a must-win game for for the Eagles. And I'm going to share this with you. I thought it was interesting. I I, I don't I don't want to go super in depth with this, but I want fans to kind of know what. Some things are good. Some of the things that are go- that's going on with Carson Wentz so far this year. So, this is 10 Carson Wentz stats you won't believe as the Eagles QB struggles by Ruben Frank of NBC Philadelphia. Um, he's got a passer rating of 72.5 against Washington and 56.5 against the Rams. Um, he's the only NFL quarterback who's had a rating below 73 and two starts this year. So, that's not good. Uh, Wentz already has as many games with a rating below 73 in two games this year as he did in 40 games of last season's combined. Uh, There's a dubious stat with that 73 rating where he ties uh, actually his coach, Doug Peterson and Donovan McNabb, with a dubious dubious – number there brutal after halftime where does that sound familiar john <laughs> uh in the second half of the two eagles losses wentz is 23 of 44 for 214 yards no touchdowns and three interceptions 37.5 second half passer rating um fourth qb in eagles history to have back-to-back games with 40 or more pass attempts and a passer rating under 75 uh you know last first the sixth qb in the last 60 years to throw two interceptions in each of the eagles first two games um wentz has thrown four interceptions since his last touchdown that's that's a biggie uh and in the span of just eight days wentz dropped from number four in nfl history and career interception ratio to number eight um so These are just some of the things here. Uh, Two games into the season, Wentz rakes 31st of 32 QBs in passer rating ahead of only Kirk Cousins. Um, 29th in completion percentage, 28th in touchdown percentage, 29th in yards per attempt and 19th in yards per game. Now, a lot can be said about the offensive line. You mentioned those two uh, uh, guards are out for the, for the Eagles. And I think that Wentz has been feeling a lot of pressure, but there've been some bad throws, bad plays, and it's really hurt the team. And now, their star receiver, their, their rookie wide receiver, Jalen Rager, is out uh, at least for this. I think he's out for about a month or so, um, so he won't have him. Limited wide receiver core. I get a little worried because last week we were saying, is Baker's job on the line if he doesn't play well? <laughs> and then, of course, he has this immense back uh, bounce-back game, and here we are kind of seeing this with Carson Wentz, but the numbers are not looking good for the Eagles signal caller.
1: A couple things, Stan. Some more stats for you guys. Um, Eagles have been allowing – a thirty-one percent pressure rate per dropback, which is about a little bit better than average. I mean, their offense line is still, it's still better than the Bengals. Like they still have Lane Johnson, Jason Kelly out there, and Jason Pierce may not be the same Jason Pierce as he used to be, but he's still like pretty good. He's still pretty decent. On those thirty percent percent dropbacks per, per, excuse me, thirty-one percent pressure rate per dropback, Wentz is converting those pressures to sacks at twenty-seven percent, which is one of the worst in the league. So it's more of Wentz not. He's doing the least in terms of being, playing under pressure and just not getting the ball out, not creating big plays. He's just taking a lot of sacks that, unfortunately, shouldn't be. And like, and you know, the pass rating stats are, are damning for him, and it reflects a lot in his PFF grade, which is like 44 right now. And the first four years in the league, he averaged 3.9 uh, percent turnover-worthy play percentage and about a 56 percent accurate pass percentage. Those numbers are up. To nine point two percent turnover the play percentage, It's accurate pass percentage is down to forty percent. So it, eesh, it's eesh. yeah, it, it, it's ugly. It's it. There's no way around. And now we have a two-game sample size of it against two completely different defenses in in the Washington football team and the Los Angeles Rams. So Wentz is not playing good. Like you said, they only have four healthy receivers this game. One of them happens to be Deshaun Jackson, who I still think can have a good game. I still think is a good player, but like this is not. Like, like these don't look these don't look like fluky numbers right now. It looks like a quarterback who's actually struggling and has a decent offensive line, but just not doing anything behind it, and he's just not being accurate on any level of the field. So that is the one thing that that the Bengals have that they can exploit. They have the better quarterback in this game, and they can put up more points, and they have the better situation on offense. Like they, again, they they have a definite problem in terms of matching up with that Eagles' defensive line. And the Eagles' offensive line is better than the Bengals' defensive line at this point, even if they have those two injuries. But if they can't move the ball again of course, once as their quarterback, like, there's no logical reason why the Bengals shouldn't be competitive to the point where they can win this game.
0: So let's talk about that. A lot of people feel that the Eagles, a couple years removed from a Super Bowl victory and a number two overall pick at, at quarterback uh, from a couple of years ago, they feel that this could be a and should be a competitive team and they have not been their own two. So this, for that team, you would think, is a very important game to get their season back on track. John, we know statistically, I think since 2003 it was, that uh, basically 11 or 12% of teams that that have started 0-2 end up making the postseason, so it's not a good outlook for either one of these teams, regardless of what happens this week. So we know that this because of expectations for the Eagles matters quite a bit. The expectations seem to be quite a bit lower for the Cincinnati Bengals. But John, I've been noticing over the past week, plus since the Bengals lost to the Browns, team should be one and one, maybe even two and zero, oh, depending on who you ask. At least one and one. You now have Zach Taylor two and sixteen. I think there's ten games, 10 one possession or one score games where the Bengals have not pulled it out in the Zach Taylor era. Um, people are getting a little uneasy. So what is this game in your eyes? What does this mean for the Bengals going forward in this year and for Zach Taylor and for the, for, for their, I don't just their outlook for the rest of the season, you know, if they are to make an unlikely playoff push, you know, obviously they need this, this game, but what are your kind of overall impressions if the Bengals, if they win this game or if they drop this game?
1: Well, 0-2 is 0-2 and 0-3 is 0-3. So both teams, I think, should have the same urgency. It's not like one matters more than the other. I'm not and I'm I'm not saying that, that you were prefacing that or saying that, but I'm saying like in terms of expectations, I guess, like the Eagles are the have the worst DVOA rating for football outsiders for a team projected to have a positive DVOA in the preseason. Like they are playing so far below expectation that it's not even funny. The Bengals are still a last place team until they aren't. And that and last Thursday was a chance to prove that they may not be ready to compete for the division, but they are at least going to be better than the Browns. Like they're not there yet. They're, they're not, they're not the Browns. They don't have the talent to match up with them. That was so obvious in the parent. Now they have a better, they have a better quarterback than they used to have in the past 10 years, but they're not ready yet to compete against the team, even as, as the Browns. So they're in a very tough division. They're still projected to go last place, which is what they were projected to before the season. The Eagles, on the other hand, they're in the worst division in football and they still have a chance to win the division, even if they're 0 two. So, both teams are looking to go to avoid open three. One team's at a home. One team is the six and a half point favorite. And there's a reason why that bit, because the Bengals are the other team and they played almost equally as bad in week two, as the Eagles have in the, in in their first two weeks. So if the Bengals go open three, you're not going to see Zach Taylor fired. You're not going to see any of his assistants fired. I think if anyone was going to get fired, it it, would have happened after week two, which is kind of what happened with uh Ken PZ in 2017. So, I mean, no heads are going to roll after this game. And, it's not like zero and, 2 and 0 and three are that big of a difference in terms of making the playoffs. Like if you're zero two, you're already mathematically eliminated based off of just just if you simulate a thousand seasons, you're not making the playoffs that much. So if you're zero three, you're basically virtually like you're you're, you're done. So, but it's not like it's that big of a difference. So, the, the the Eagles is a team that they should they should probably win based on how they're playing right now. But it's it's not like zero and three is that big of a shock compared to how the Bengals were expected to be this year, which is like a six or seven win team at best. And they can still feasibly achieve that because I think the second half is going to be a little bit easier for them based off of how everything is going around the league. But I mean, 0-3 is bad and it reflects poorly on Zach Taylor. who only has two wins in this screw, but it's not like anyone is going to get fired or anything drastically is going to change because that, that time for change was in the offseason when they had the chance to upgrade the offensive line and fix some other dire positions and they decided not to do that.
0: Yeah, I, I you know, I'm not calling for Zach Taylor's head by any means, and I'm not thinking that if they go 0-3, he's gone after this game. That's not really what I'm saying. But I mean, at some point the optimism and the excitement runs dry when you've got this new young head coach, he's assembled his quote unquote his staff, and you've got this franchise quarterback, you've got you've had kind of an exciting draft, an exciting offseason. You know you're coming off a two and fourteen franchise worst tied for season, and then now if you start the, the season zero and three, I, I think you're going to get some uneasy people, especially because so many of us, even if we realistically did expect a six, seven, maybe eight win season, when you start zero and three, um, you're going to get you're going to get some people that are a little unhappy, and uh, you know whatever that leads to, I don't know, but there's going to be some questions about the viability of Zach Taylor as head coach um the questions won't exist for Joe Burrow we know that and I think he, what he showed us last week definitely proves that he has quote-unquote it but I just think this is a big game for Zach Taylor um whether or not that they, they end up making the playoffs or doing whatever at the end of this year I just think that winning a game early in the season which they were not able to achieve last year um it's just a big deal
1: yeah and we talked a lot about you know close game regression from season to season they're, they're not only 0 and 10 in Zach Taylor's first 10 close games. Like I think they're 0- like 14 or 0-13. Jay Morrison looked out the staff for the athletic. And the last close game that they won was in 2018 when they beat the Buccaneers by three in like week eight. And that was a crazy game that the Bengals almost blew. So yeah, this they were goes, up by
0: like three touchdowns or something, I think, in that game.
1: Yeah. So this goes back even before like Taylor was hired. So like it, it's it, it's a mental thing, man. Like and not not all close games are, are made the same. Sometimes it's it's fluky, like the like last week when they had a backdoor cover and they weren't really close throughout the game, and sometimes it's like the Chargers when it's just a defensive battle and the offense just doesn't muster up enough points when it needs to be, when it needs to. But this, like, how for how bad the the Eagles are right now, there's no excuse for Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense to not put up enough points to win this game. Like the defense could struggle again; they could make Wentz look a little bit better than what he has been doing. But like this is a game that if the Bengals don't win like something drastically probably needs to go wrong for that defense. And it's it's possible for how they looked in week two, but like, like this is a game that they should theoretically like if, if not win, keep it tightly contested throughout the game.
0: Yeah. If the trends of the last two weeks continue for both teams, you would think that uh, it, it is a game that the Bengals could, could win, even though it's a road game. So with that being said, John, let's call our shot. Let's give a game prediction. Um, and then we'll we'll get on out of here in just a minute. But uh, you got a shot to call here.
1: <sighs> you know what? I'll say DJ Reader gets his first sack for the Bengals. I'll say... And, and and you know what? The last time the Bengals won in Week 3 was actually 2015. It was five years ago. They haven't won in Week 3 in five years. So it was 2015 on the road against the Ravens. You have to remember that AJ Green had two touchdowns that game, including the go-ahead winner that has been a all-, all every single highlight tape for AJ green. I think this is a huge week for him. It, it, it is the week. I think that we can determine if, if it's truly him being as washed as we think he is, or if it was just the rust that was showing up in the first two weeks and five days, like he has a great matchup against Nicole Cole Roby Coleman and Darius slay. Their outside cornerbacks. Their secondary is just not good. It's easily exploitable. I think green goes for at least 80, maybe even hundred yards. This game, he connects with burrow for the first time down the field. He has a really good game. I think that's why the Bengals can probably win this game.
0: That that week 3 game in 2015 was that the infamous Ravens game when when AJ just went absolutely ham on mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that game was awesome. Uh I was in a plane for some of that game unfortunately, but uh did get to watch some of that. That was that was an entertaining game. Um I you know, I'm going to say this is this is a big game for Carlos Dunlap. I think you're, I think you're going to see him whether or not Daniels Zandor or Atkins play. I think it's it's Very uncharacteristic of Dunlap to be this quiet two games in a row. I think you're going to see one of those patented tip balls that end up becoming a turnover, whether it's by his own grabbing of the interception, which we've seen before or tipping it to another defender, I think you're going to see him get in the backfield. And I think you're going to see him, uh, you know, make some plays this week. And I think you're going to say, there's Carlos, there's 96. We missed you, buddy. And uh, that is my shot. And I think that that is going to lead to a Bengals victory. I did. I called a Bengals loss last week, by the way, I didn't, I, I didn't have the Bengals going three and zero, by the way, but I think the Bengals do win this week based on all of the things that we've talked about, John, I'm going to say uh 27, to twenty three,
1: Cincinnati. I think I think the over is right now like forty six. I think it's a safe over for that, despite the Eagles' offense looking like absolute trash. I think the, 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 they bounce back a little bit in offense. So I think that they they can get some big plays against the Bengals' defense. I think Miles Sanders has a decent game. Again, that offense line can still create damage against the Bengals' defensive line. But like this is the game where if you know if Burrow, as long as he keeps this if he keeps it going like he has in weeks one and two, he should be able to continue to make good decisions, continue to move the ball down the field and have no, no problem scoring like 25, 30 points against this Eagles defense. So the Bengals definitely cover that five and a half. I think currently spread. Um, I, pre- <laughs> I'll be honest. I-, I gave the Eagles guys a- an Eagles win in my prediction on the show. Cause I wanted to just appease them. They were just, they were going through it. Like they were just, they were down in the dumps. They were just not looking good. So I, I gave them an Eagles win there, but I'll I'll give the Bengals a 31 28 win here.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, So we we call it shots there, both on individual performances and score predictions. Love to hear yours in the live chat. Or if you're listening to us after the fact, go ahead and get in touch with us, whether it's through Facebook or uh, the Cincy Jungle Facebook, the YouTube channel, or on Twitter. Uh, get in touch with us and by the way download this program on your favorite audio platform we're available on all of the major ones so no excuses subscribe get the program get all of the great podcasts on the cincy jungle channel uh we are just one of a couple that uh are on there so check it out john let's drop the mic and get on out of here what do you got for us before we hop out
1: uh i don't really have much but um to the city of Louisville and to everyone else who's already not there, we're, we're thinking about you were with you.
0: Yeah. Stinks that uh, this, this year has been tough, man, on a lot of different fronts, been a tough year. And, uh, yeah, the, obviously the Breon. I, I unfortunately have been pretty busy today, so I haven't gotten to see, um, a lot of the information there, but have heard rumblings there. So, um, yeah, glad you brought that up. You know, I, I my, my mic drop, uh, this last week, I, I've noticed that Bengals fans have, as they begin to lose, they get a little. Uh, their unrest ends up being projecting onto people, and uh, I've noticed that uh, our show and me a little bit have been the uh, in the in the scope of the fan ire. For, for better or for worse I'm seeing some comments tonight saying it doesn't why are you guys why are you guys even talking about this it doesn't matter the Bengals won't be successful there was a comment on Cincy Jungle when we talked about and promoted our podcast there, talking about my inabilities as a host of the program so you know it is what it is but I choose to focus on the positive and I, I see guys like Antoine Malone saying hey we still need to get together sometime for a drink he lives in Southern California um you Know, uh, even though I don't, even though he, he doesn't drink, uh, so there's guys like that that make us continue to want to do this. There's a guy like Steve Zorns on Twitter, John. I don't know if you saw this, but I was on a different podcast earlier this week, and he kind of said, I didn't get to watch that one last night, but I caught, caught it today. Uh, I watch Anthony and John on Cincy Jungle every week, his name's Steve Zorn. Um, and, you know, it's like that to me, you know, unfortunately you get the kind of the negative naysayers and whatnot. And I get that it's easy to be that way with the Cincinnati Bengals, but there are a couple of, there are a lot of listeners, by the way, not, there are a lot of you out there that every once in a while uh, we we get that reminder of, Hey, don't, don't get down about things. Uh, and, you know, we've got some good people that, that, like what we do, John. And uh, as I always say, and I really mean it, I'm flattered that people care what I think, what we think, and, and tune into this show.
1: Yeah, you, if people are calling out and they're frustrated and they're saying that you guys slug, it means we're doing a good job. and Because mostly most of you appreciate the work that we do and we love what we do. And we're not always going to please everybody. And that's that's just the nature of it. If, if we please everybody, we're not doing our job right. So to, to those who have stuck with us and can, can, can take our stuff every single week, um thank you and for those who who quit out and decided they couldn't take any anymore i'm sorry it wasn't for you but <laughs> like like th- th- this is this is just the way it is and we're not going to change
0: yep yep well said and uh, i appreciate you and all of your vast contributions to this show john you are a valuable valuable asset to this program and to cincyjungle.com appreciate you um We'll see. Uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, Sunday for the pregame show. You, me, Matt Minnick, and uh, got some special guest giveaways and all that stuff. So if you have not had the chance to check out our pre-kickoff pregame show hour before kickoff, check it out. We have some fun, a little more relaxed, and uh, we get we get set for the game. So it's been fun so far, and uh, check it out. You may win something. Talk about the game. Talk with other Bengals fans. It's a good time. We'll see you then. Keep it to CincyJungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis. We'll see you.